Listener beware. The following is a cautionary tale of two friends venturing into a world of magic and monsters, haunted houses, weeping cryptids, fairy food trucks, and other absurdities. This is Spokelore. in exchange for my food. I mean, yeah, everything is clearly very wrong and bad, and you're being possessed, and I have a soggy pet and a very demanding mode of transportation, but bonus, I can make food that is edible. I'm just trying to keep it all in perspective. So yeah, Bartleby pulled up in Parkersburg, West Virginia. This was a couple of days ago now, but I haven't had a moment to kind of catch you up. The place Bartleby decided to stop was actually uh, in a cemetery? I tried to convince him that perhaps food and dead people don't really go hand in hand, but he was intractable, as always. So Splunk and I went wandering about the gravestones looking for more ingredients for my soup. We found some mugwort and chamomile, some stinging nettle and wild fennel, um, some plantain, watercress, chervil, and betony. There was even a crabapple tree. Don't ask me how I knew what they were. <laughs> Last week I'd have said weeds. The end. But Splunk is really great at finding the good stuff. They're like a truffle pig for magical herbs. When we got back to Bartleby, he looked different. I mean, he's been changing pretty much constantly, I guess I haven't mentioned. He was all rusted silver when I found him, but as we've been driving, he's gotten all shiny and gleaming. But this, suddenly he had his name printed on the side, and instead of this one little broken window, he had this huge counter with an awning stretching over it and everything. And get this, there was a chalked menu on the side. Apparently, I was going to be serving German seven-herb soup. I didn't even know what that was. But I left out the mugwort and the crabapples and added everything else I'd foraged into my bark broth. And I know that sounds revolting, but when I looked up, there were people lined up in a cemetery to buy my soup. There were so many of them, I didn't think I'd have enough, but that pot went full streganona and the soup just kept coming. And you would think that Squonk would have been off-putting, but the creature would go up and weep at the customers when their order was up, and everyone would pet them, and they would cry tears of joy. It was adorable. Annie, I've never felt anything more right. My whole life I've been trying to find what I'm supposed to do, and I would never, in a million years, have guessed that it was this. But feeding people, even if it is doing it in this admittedly really odd way, I think that's what I've been looking for. But then something weird happened. Or, I don't know, weirder. Right next to where Bartleby was parked, there was this gravestone. It was kind of gorgeous, actually. Like, it's a regular gravestone, but then there's this statue of a woman draped over it, resting her arms atop the grave. She's crying. Anyway, this one guy was leading on the statue, waiting for his soup, whatever. But then all of a sudden, his shirt started ripping off of his body. I'm not kidding. It's like his shirt snagged on the statue and tore, which I realize makes no sense. And then this one lady... She was the sweetest. She gave Squonk some treats and had the most adorable southern accent. She started screaming and hitting the guy with her purse. He had his arms up to shield himself from this elderly woman, and he's yelling and she's yelling and Squonk was crying bucket loads, and I went running out of Bartleby to try and sort it out, which took some time, as you might imagine. 
So the old woman and some of the townsfolk eventually explained that the weeping woman statue has some kind of radar for, like, evildoers? That's the story, anyway. And since the statue attacked this guy, that meant he was bad news. So I just gave the guy his soup and sent him packing. He looked at me all wounded and hurt, and he had very effective wounded and hurt green eyes, and I don't know if I should necessarily be trusting the judgment of inanimate objects, but given everything else that's going on, I don't know if I should not be trusting their judgment either, you know? So yeah, I told him to piss off. Okay, before you say anything, I want to remind you that you dated a Yeti lover for years. Neither of us has stellar judgment when it comes to the menfolk, and okay, yeah, I'm making choices based on the opinions of statues who like to rip perfectly good t-shirts in order to make a point, but that's got to be at least as valid a system as online dating. Well, you're not wrong about our corroded judgment of the male species, Um, and it turns out this is something my ghost has in common with us, by the way, but we'll get to that. Uh, just so you know, I would have easily accepted the story of the gravestone and the old lady smacking the guy waiting for her soup had it not been for the fact that you mentioned the color of his eyes and then got all defensive. Your attention to detail has betrayed you because now I'm intrigued. Um, also, for the record, I currently get body checked by the coat rack every time I walk into the house, so my trust in inanimate objects seems to be a lot more brittle than yours. Living in a legitimately haunted house has taught me that they don't always have the noblest intentions, is all I'm saying. Okay, so speaking of hauntings, I did finally muster up the courage to read the possession script Linnea gave me. Um, I'll give you some of my initial findings before I play the recording for you. Bottom line, it turns out that Linnea's words are a lot less scary than I thought. Uh, Some of them, anyway. The really important discovery is that it sounds like she had a hell of an ex, which obviously we can both relate to. My intuition tells me that she's just really wanting to feel seen in everything she's been through, which is a lot. Uh, Okay, here's the recording. So it is 8.13 a.m. on a very windy Wednesday morning. The following words are Linnaeus. The morning dawned perilously pretty. I walked the shoreline drinking in every perfect element of the world around me. Ornately spun spider webs that festooned the driftwood, beaded with dew, tufts of mist and fog rolling above the bluff where I trod barefoot, and yet I was not cold, nor did I feel the least discomfort. I felt only the sun's golden sheen on my skin. I wished to transcribe all that I felt and saw, even though the words failed to capture such ordinary magic. The low tide let me hear the chattering of shellfish as the water retreated through the rocks. The wind was purposeful, yet its gusts were soft and curious, tugging my dress and locks of hair in wayward directions. Every moment I savored, every fixture of the seascape so precious and sacred to me, for I knew it would not last. I knew it would not last. Today, he will come. I can feel him drawing closer. His presence looms like a shadow encroaching with a slinking malevolence beneath the water. My water. 
already tainting this beloved place with the menace of his smiles and bestial greed? How did I not see it, the monstrous truth of what he was? It is futile to wonder at it now, I know. He meant to trick me, to take me captive, and he succeeded. Wife or no, I have no power here. I am almost gone. How I wish I could return to the day I found him on the shore, where he lay near death, and change my course of action. In my dream, I did not gather kelp to staunch the bleeding. I did not bring him into my cavern and nurse him with my secret remedies. I did not find him handsome or feel my face flush when he showered me with praise and flattery. In my dream, I did not heal him. I simply carried on, gathering urchins in my basket, watching the surf wash over him until the sea claimed him again. In my dream, there is part of me that lives on in blissful ignorance of his treachery, but such thoughts only worsen my suffering. He knows that I cannot leave. I was meant to belong to this place, but now I belong only to him. He knows that he can take more than I would ever offer freely, and then he will take more until nothing remains of Linnea. I never knew that a man could take such things. It pains me to remember the blight of my innocence, the trust I so readily bestowed upon those who treated me kindly. My foolish desire to believe in the goodness of people doomed me to this half-life, which soon will be no life at all. His ship is a dark blemish on the horizon now. He comes for me, and I cannot stop him. He is almost here. I must love this world as fiercely as I can before he can claim me again. So, that's as much as I wrote, because the room turned red, and I freaked out and ran away after that. Um, I guess this is payback for all those cliffhangers I put in my last book. But yeah, that was definitely dark, and I'm so curious about what happened when the captain got there, especially given what I heard from that fisherman that he disappeared one day. But, I mean, we've all known men like this, right? Where it feels like... Their only purpose in life is to just drain you of your life energy. And then to be all alone in that, or to feel like you've literally been held captive because of the social conventions of the time, it just sounds so rough. You know, I, I feel like Linnea could really use some sisterly solidarity. So anyway, I'll stop there. Uh, oh, by the way, I think Squonk is a four on the Enneagram. No judgment. Finding Enneagram 4s, little Miss 1. We have deep feelings, okay? Squonk is just working through some stuff. Who knows what kind of wrinkly skin trauma they had? Speaking of which, damn and hellfire, that's some trauma Linnea's carrying, for sure. I mean, yeah, I've had my share of nasty exes, but that all got really dark. It sounds like she didn't have anyone. No kind of support or... Wait, hang on, I've got a call coming. Oh my god. Is that you? Annie, are you really there? Oh my god. Hi! Hi! 
I can't believe you're there. I have so much to tell you. <gasps> Why do we think whatever malevolent forest has been keeping us from speaking to each other has, I don't know, let their guard down? Well, in Linnea's defense, I think she was being more cautionary than malevolent. If it was her doing, or I don't know, it could just be inexplicable mystical island things. Sure, we'll go with that, because who cares? Here you are! Here you are! Wait, where are you? Is your side quest over yet? Ah, uh, no, not exactly. I'm still in West Virginia, Ooh, West Virginia. Okay, yes, but, ooh, and this is wild. I saw Yeti Boy. What? You saw Chadwick? I said what I said. No way. Explain yourself. Okay, so Squonk and I were out foraging, like we do, and apparently there have been all of these Bigfoot sightings around New River Gorge, which, you know, I laughed at heartily and ignored. Mm -hmm. But then I think I saw one? No, you didn't. Bigfoot does not exist. I know! I strongly agree with you. And yet, what else would you call a very large hairy man ape thing in the woods? I mean, a lost frat boy claimed by the wilderness? Heh. <laughs> Nice. Um, but really, I swear, it was Bigfoot. I don't know what else it could have been. Wow. Okay. I feel like maybe this is the most surprising thing that has happened lately. <laughs> right? And there's been a lot of competition. I know! Yeah, I saw Bigfoot just sort of sauntering through the forest on his way somewhere, swinging his little primitive basket in one hand. <laughs> and I'm not really sure what possessed me, but Annie, I, I tipped my cap at him. And, like, I wasn't wearing a cap, so I tipped an invisible cap. <laughs> and he just nodded politely at me and went on his way. <laughs> okay, but listen, I feel pretty good about the whole interaction. Like, mm -hmm. I hadn't totally embarrassed myself in front of the most famous North American mythical creature. <laughs> but then I carried on harvesting some mushrooms that Squonk sniffed out for me. And then I heard some footsteps behind me. I turned around. And Annie, your awful ex-boyfriend, was standing right there. He was all out of breath, and if he recognized me, he didn't acknowledge it. What? He's met you, like, ten times. Yeah, well, he's awful in many ways. <sighs> he just went, have you seen a Yeti? Ugh, God. And I was like, oh, wow, are you one of those people who believe in cryptids? That's so embarrassing <laughs> for you. You should get a hobby. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Oh, I did. <laughs> and I could hear Squonk, like, cry laughing from somewhere near Bartleby, which is a very adorable sound. You should hear it sometime. But Chadwick didn't seem to notice because, again, he's blind to cryptids, apparently. <laughs> he just angrily snapped back, Yeti, yes or no? Ugh, God, what a dick. <laughs> so I rolled my eyes at him and I said, I saw something moving through the brush over there, and then I turned back to my foraging, and he went off stumbling through the brambles. Wait. You told him where Bigfoot is? Nikki, how could you? What? No, what do you take me for? I pointed in entirely the other direction. Ugh. I sent him lumbering through a particularly nasty grove of invasive blackberries and poison ivy that I had narrowly avoided earlier. I'm guessing he's not feeling too good right now. You're a good friend. Yes, I am. I mean, it was only after he left that I thought of like 10 vengeful things I wish I'd said, but... That's okay. You've avenged my dignity regardless. Um, but, ahem, more importantly, I would like to hear more about Ripped T-Shirt Guy. Who? Who indeed. When do your evasions ever work with me, woman? Uh, I don't know. I, 
he did come around again. Oh, did he? I think he's a Bartleby groupie. <laughs> he just really seems to want more food. Uh-huh. And uh, under the t-shirt we saw? Irrelevant. I, I am agreeing to give him food in exchange for currency. That is the extent of our interactions. Put Twonk on the phone. I feel like they'll give me a more honest assessment of the situation than you will. <sighs> Look. All right. Maybe he's trying to flirt. Or something, I don't know. He asks a lot of questions about Bartleby and Squonk and about where the food is coming from. Maybe he's a food blogger or something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. The Weeping Lady statue said he was bad news and that's that. Right. Um, Weeping Lady being, of course, the ultimate authority on shirtless young men. Look, you know what happens when I place myself as the authority on these matters. Need we revisit Andrew or... Mm. Good lord, the balding misogynist gymnast. All right, well, I was never going to bring that up again. Um, <laughs> also, I feel like the Bechdel test would object to, like, the whole trajectory of this conversation. Yes, let us leave the past in the garbage heap where it belongs. Mm -hmm. Except when it comes to Linnea, clearly, because the past is obviously still quite present with her. You have no idea. So, you heard the recording I left, right? Yeah, it was... I feel like we would have been friends with her. Right? And since then, we've had a real breakthrough. You know, some of the doors in the house have been opening themselves up to me, and I found a passageway I'd never seen before that let me into this sweetest little, like, cozy room on the east side of the house. I think it must have been her study or hobby room or something, because it's just full of these incredibly ornately woven baskets made out of seagrass. And the weird thing is that even though everything was covered in dust, the baskets were all pretty much pristine. Like, they could have been made yesterday. That's how fresh and new they felt. Oh, weird. Do you think she's still making them? She's like a crafty poltergeist? No, it's more like they resisted time in some way. Like, they were imbued with something that saved them from decay. But they do feel like an extension of her. As I was holding one, it felt like she was right there next to me. So I started talking to her. Did she talk back? Not exactly, but it just feels like everything around me is more animate. Like she's trying to tell me things in little ways, like a, a door creaking open or, you know, a ball of yarn and spooling to lead me somewhere else in the house. It's, it's actually sort of cute. Okay. I mean, I still want to have, you know, the boundaries conversation with her, but for now, I think we're just working on establishing trust, and that feels important, you know? Sure. Just, you know, maybe think about having that conversation sooner rather than later. I know she's been through a lot. I mean, we've all been there. Oppressive exes are the worst, but she needs to not force you to carry her baggage. Totally agree. And... I think I have an idea for how we can communicate more directly. I'm hoping to give it a try tomorrow and, you know, I'll let you know how it goes. Okay. Be safe, all right? I know everything right now with both of us is so weird that it's like, what the hell? Let's just go with it. <laughs> but something tells me that what you're dealing with could get dangerous. I hear you. I'll be careful. Okay. I just got more customers. Oh, I gotta go. Okay. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Love you too. Bye.
have to hide when others' perceptions give me panic attacks. So when I am now, I'm not behind trees. I'll hide in the forest where I can be free. Maybe to you it sounds a little strange, but maybe I can be a supermodel, skinny, kind of pretty girl. Maybe I wanna be a cryptid. Maybe I don't wanna exist in this world. Everyone's comments turn into scars And everyone lies and says Be who you are What if I wanna be a cryptid Maybe my ideal body is Bigfoot Spokelore is written, produced, and performed by Annie Wilde and Nikki Vandikar. Our closing credit song is Cryptid Mothman by Ratwife. Further misadventures can be found on patreon.com slash spokelore and on Instagram at spokelorepodcast. Any resemblance to persons or cryptids, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. Lately I've been put in the crying cryptid, wishing I could melt into swamps. Beady red eyes can't see beauty standards, and stealing someone's skin would hide all my flaws. Maybe I can't be a supermodel skinny kind of pretty girl. 